Let us pray together. O God, we rejoice that you always have more light and more love and more truth to reveal to us from your holy word. And so now we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our whole faith community so that we might not only hear your word, but take it into our hearts and live it out in our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This past spring, I had one of my aha moments of first sensing God's call to this congregation when I was exploring and sleuthing through your website, as pastoral candidates are wont to do. And I came to the part that talked about your mission statement. Now, one of the things you have to know about me as a pastor is that I'm especially passionate about Christian formation. This process of our following Jesus throughout our lives and learning how to love God, love self, love our neighbor, love creation as Jesus modeled. And one of the things that I sensed right away as I read your mission statement is you folks are passionate about that kind of formation and discipleship as well. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and wondering, well, what exactly is Christian formation? And where do we see it happening in our lives? A key part of it, of course, happens here on Sunday morning as we gather together to worship God, to connect with each other in community, and to engage and study Scripture. But one of the things that we're getting clued into is that Christian formation also happens on all the other days of the week as well, not just Sunday morning. Christian formation happens as we gather together tomorrow to serve and to participate in the community meal. It happens when we mentor a young person. It happens when we share our resources, when we work for peace, when we hold each other in prayer throughout the week. Christian formation is happening whenever and wherever Christ is shaping his character in us. Formation is happening whenever Jesus is teaching us how to live and to love and to pray well and to become whole in him. And so in this much broader light and understanding of Christian formation, I'd like for all of us to open our bulletins and to read our mission statement and to notice how Christian formation and I I think we could even better say Christian transformation undergirds our whole mission as a congregation. Did you all find that? 
Let's read it together. Our purpose as a congregation is to be transformed by God's mercy, grace, and love, to introduce our children and neighbors to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to equip one another to live peaceably and generously, and to contribute to the well-being of Lancaster City and the wider world. Amen. Now, our scripture passages this morning urge us to pay pay special attention to the spiritual formation, especially of our children and our youth. And this is going to be the focus of my sermon this morning. But I want us, as we look at this focus, as we explore it, to notice how, by God's design, we are being formed as well as our children are being formed in church and home. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to our central text today from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which, I don't know if you noticed, is one of our congregation's 12 core biblical passages uh, that I believe you chose in this past year. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 4, we find what our Jewish brothers and sisters regard as the central text in Scripture. It's called the Shema, and it is recited by Jews every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus, of course, later on said that this is the greatest and the first commandment. Now remember what is happening in this story here in Deuteronomy. God has just liberated the Israelites, set them free from their house of slavery, from their chains to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, and has brought them out into the wilderness and given them the Ten Commandments. And Moses in this passage is telling them that these commandments have been given to them to form them and shape them into a people, a covenant people, exclusively in love with God. And since the Israelites are beginning to anticipate their entry into the promised land, Moses has on his mind, how are we going to pass on this love to the next generation, this love of God? And since that, that's a concern of ours as well. Amen? Let's, uh, let's learn from a few of the things that Moses has to teach us this morning. Let me mention four things briefly. Faith modeling. Faith practices. Faith symbols. And faith stories. First, faith modeling. Verse 6. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your hearts. 
Treasure them. You know, our kids naturally notice what is most precious to us and what we treasure in our hearts. The most important thing that we can do to nurture the spiritual formation of our children is to actively nurture our own relationship with God. Deep will speak to deep. Shallowness will speak to shallowness with our kids. If we never give God another thought after we leave East Chestnut this morning, all week, why should our children ever think about God too? Conversely, if faith excuse me, conversely, faith is nurtured in our children as they experience that our love for God and our service to God are true and authentic. And they will desire that in their own lives as well. Second, faith practices. Verse 7. Talk about these things with your kids. When you're at home and when you're away, when you tuck them in at night, and when you get them out of bed in the morning. Here we learn that the family needs to play a leading role in the faith formation of our children. We cannot simply farm this out to the faith community alone. It takes more than just one or two hours a week to nurture faith. Instead, the church and the home are in this intimate partnership together. That is the goal. And the interesting thing is that in the home, kids especially thrive on practices that begin right when they're young, very early, that then these practices become familiar. Later on, they become precious. What we're talking about here is are things like praying together at meals, being blessed every night in bed, reading Bible stories together, serving others, and coming to church every Sunday. Rosalind and Roger tell me that in their family for the last 15 years, at family gatherings, they always close these times by singing together, Go Now in Peace. And the beautiful thing about this, they say, is that even when they forget to do it, guess who chimes in now? The grandkids. We've got to sing this. Let the love of God surround you. Faith practices... This is very important. Our habits that we put in place in our lives based on our deepest core values. Okay? They become our default settings in our lives. And we're going to be talking a lot in the coming year about what are the default 
settings in our lives. In other words, we don't decide to come here to East Chestnut this morning. We don't decide to go to MYF this week or next week based on how we feel in that moment. Because if we do, (laughs) we're not likely to go. Instead, we make these decisions. They become the default settings of our lives based on our core value. We are committed to connecting with God. We are committed to training in Christ's ways. So we show up. In our busy and, dare I say, often fragmented lives, faith practices help us all to live on purpose. To live by our core priorities. Now notice in verse 7 that Moses highlights, I love this, the special holiness of the ending and the beginning of each day. All right? When you lie down and when you rise up, the psalmist, Psalm 65.8, also talks about the glory of the beginning and the ending of the day. You see, there is a special intimacy in ending and beginning each of our days by praying with our kids and blessing them. And parents here, if you don't already bless your kids every night, I urge you to do so. You are God's beloved child. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord's presence embrace you and give you peace. It's in the back of your hymnal number 772. If you don't already have a blessing with your children. In my own family, another daily faith practice that we've found especially helpful is that at every supper, we ask each other, where did you experience God today? And for what are you most grateful? These are formational questions. And what they do is they help us to learn to become more aware of God's presence and God's action in our lives. The third is faith symbols. Look at the last part of verse 8. Write these words on the doorposts of your house and your gates. How many of you have love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind written on your doorway? (laughs) You know, uh, Jews, even to this day, have a silver container called a mezuzah that is mounted on the doorframe of their homes. And it contains these very words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And as they pass through the door, they touch it. And they are reminded of their calling and our calling to love God. 
Now, in the same way, in our homes as well, a work of art, a cross, a scripture calligraphy, or an icon can remind us daily of our calling to love God and can prompt the visual curiosity of our kids. So here's an assignment for all of you today. When you go home today, I want you to walk in the door and look at your home with new eyes. Can your kids, can your grandkids, can your neighbors, can your friends and guests see that your first allegiance is to Christ? Finally, faith stories. Verse 20. Moses says that after our children participate in our faith practices, after they see our symbols, they will begin to naturally ask, Mommy, why do we do this? Grandpa, what does all of this mean? This, dear friends, is what we call a teachable moment. And the beautiful thing is that in this teachable moment, Moses teaches us how to respond. He responds, you'll notice, with a story. We were slaves in Egypt, he says, but the Lord brought us out of our house of slavery with a mighty hand. And we all know another Jewish teacher who also had a habit of always answering people's questions with a story. Who was that? Jesus. Yeah. Reading the stories of the Bible together, telling them to each other, is an especially formative process for all of us together. Over the last decade with our daughter, we have read through a whole series of Bible story books. And we started with something called the Rhyme Bible, and then we went on to another one. I think we've read six or seven books all by now. Most recently, we read this one, the Bible for children. And now we're in Walter Wangerin's The Book of God. The book as a novel. Now, I love this, except I miss the pictures. But uh, this is something that we do together as a family. And you know, it's interesting. We read this in our home in the morning for 10 minutes. And by simply reading these stories for 10 minutes every day, we've literally read through five or six of these books many times. So it just shows us that a little bit, a default setting in our lives, goes a long way. One of the things that happens as we read these stories together in our homes is that we are being formed, especially we are learning how to interpret the stories of the Bible at ever deeper levels. You know, at first... The story of Jonah, 
It just seems like a whale of a story, right? If you're a kid, it's a great story about a whale that vomits up this guy on a beach. Wow, couldn't get better. But then later on, we discover that, my goodness, this story is also about all the ways that we run from God. Amen? And pity the person who, when they're 40 or 50 years old, I've had this experience, comes to me and says, you know, I just can't believe this story because I've never seen a whale vomit a man and a man live. Because this person has never learned to interpret this story at a deeper level. Or think of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in in the furnace. At first, it's just a great blazing story, right? But then later on, we we realize it's also about God and empire and giving our first loyalty to God alone. This summer, Jasmine and I spent a few weeks, we were right in the middle of this book, and we spent several weeks reading all the stories of the Israelites entering into the promised land. And to be honest with you, these were very troubling stories to read together out loud. Stories filled with violence and bloodshed, and frankly, what we would call today just simply ethnic cleansing. And the interesting thing is that as we read these stories together, we had these conversations afterward, and we asked each other, well, what is God really like? Where is the Bible's story leading? And who most fully reveals God to us? The interesting thing is that These questions, I heard them being asked by the seasoned sojourners last Sunday in your Sunday school class, and they were asked by our MYF when we gathered together on Wednesday night. The beautiful thing about all of these questions is that they invariably lead us to Jesus. Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is our key to unlocking our questions about God. Did you hear today in the gospel reading Jesus say, let the little children come to me? As we read the Bible together, we sense the world's need for a savior and our own need as well. There's a natural progression here that leads us all to Christ. I want to close now with a little visual modeling of two kinds of spiritual formation. You probably wondered, why did he put this towel down on the floor here this morning? The first model of spiritual formation in the church and the home is the fire hose method. Now, I called the Lancaster 
fire department and they wouldn't lend me a hose. No, not really. So, I've brought instead just a simple pitcher of water. In this model of Christian formation, we pay no attention to Christian formation, either of ourselves or of our children. That is until our kids get to around high school and we suddenly realize that it's baptism time. And suddenly we try in a very short amount of time to bring formation and faith practices into our home. And it often feels phony and not very authentic to our kids. So, in one short blast, we try to form our kids. And as you can see, not a whole lot remains in the glass. Some of it ends up on our pants. <laughs> the other kind of formation is what we can call the eyedropper method. Here we partner with grandparents and mentors, Sunday school teachers, to patiently fill our children's cup to overflowing with a steady flow of water. Christian formation isn't something that we do to them. It's something that we do with them as a whole congregation. Remembering, as Jesus tells us today, that we have so much to learn from our own kids about how to receive the kingdom. It's an integrated, organic way of formation where all of us are steadily learning and growing together how to live and to love like Jesus. And there's never any need to panic with our kids before they leave home because we know that we have 1,000 Sundays together here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. We have 1,000 Sundays with our kids. And we have 7,000 days together in the home. Amen.